Well, hello again. This is Coach Tim. I'm putting on the coaching hat and whistle for one more interview with somebody that can make us better coaches. Uh, for old and relevant interviews of the past, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Tim O'Keefe. And uh, there's, that's one of many places. The other place uh, that I will start putting these on very soon is timokeefe.net. So I would like to introduce our next guest by kind of prefacing where I'm trying to go with these interviews. So often we hear that we need to have a philosophy in coaching. And Pete Carroll rails on you in his clinics. That is what saved his career was actually reading John Wooden's book, and he points to the wizard as that inspiration that saved him before he got to USC, right after he got fired from the pros. But I often think we miss the point in football with philosophy because we often will look at philosophy as something very, um, very thin, where I think it's something that is the depth of our humanity and what drives us. And really that is, if you look at, Wooden's Pyramid, it's built on values and beliefs. That's what drives it. So what these interviews really are about is a way to get to the often botched attempt in the coaching world to build a useful philosophy. So throughout these things, we're talking about culture, hero's journey, archetypes, the demasculation or reframing of men in our culture, because we're trying to do something to make better men from the sport. If it's just about wins then who cares in my book? There are a few sports that I know about that can raise the value of creating better men from others, which is my ripping off a phrase from the great Jesuit school in Los Angeles, Loyola High School, whereas they indoctrinate their kids into that philosophy from day one and even encourage their incoming freshmen to join the football team, if only for one season, so that they can see men for others demonstrated and the virtues of football, hopefully. So what I'm hoping to teach here for us coaches is that we are coaching way beyond a Friday or a Saturday game or season. We are coaching our young men for life. And one of my life lessons that I learned myself, because if you're coaching well, you're getting as many, if not more, lessons from your kids. I had a kid, maybe the most athletic kid I ever coached, and I've coached kids that have grown up to play in the Ivy League, the BCS, NFL, and Canada. But he grossly underperformed. He was having issues at home. First off, I was around a staff that supported our mission, which was we were coaching to win forever, as Pete Carroll calls it, but we were using that meaning, which was that we're coaching for successful men after football. Long story short, he tested us big time, but we never gave up on him. When it disrupted other successes, when I would go insane, but he was smart and knew that was the end of his envelope, and it started to work out for him. From tough love and jump forward several years, he wrote me the other day, proud to report he will be the starting quarterback on his varsity team, which nobody ever would have guessed for him. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to our esteemed guest. Our guest, Mark J. Ryan, is one of the most respected leaders in the world of subliminal video, which I'm going to ask about that. Neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis. With over 20 years of personal coaching and therapy, Mark delivers dynamic, interactive coaching that helps people get clear about what they want. 
His unparalleled and heart-centered guidance helps his clients create rapid, measurable change in their lives, their businesses, and their plans for the future. And with that, welcome to Mark J. Ryan. How are you? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. Well, I, you, you do some great work, and that's why I wanted to interview you. Can you get into a little bit uh, specifically what you do for people, Mark, and also what is a subliminal video? <laughs> a subliminal video, it's, it's something I started doing with Kevin Hogan, who was a persuasion expert. Uh, I think he's got the second most popular book on persuasion, um, The Psychology of Persuasion. But anyways, he, he had some research on subliminals, that, visual subliminals, because uh, they've done a lot of research with audio, and it's tentative at best. Uh, pretty well, they've showed that it doesn't work very well. It does have the um, placebo effect that, that works with that and the expectancy. But with visuals, they've actually shown that, that it does work. Now, a lot of the tests from the past with the popcorn and the Coca-Cola, where they flash on the screen really quickly, and it hits at an unconscious subliminal level, uh, they found a lot of that stuff. They're, they're still wondering if that was accurate or not. But modern-day tests have shown that it does work and that you can kind of prime it. And so what I did with Kevin was we made some some uh, videos on self-esteem and self-image. We did about we did six of them, 15 minutes each. And I did three, he did three, and I designed them and made them. And they sold real well. And so from that, I, I took the subliminals and went forward with it. But basically what it does is it conditions and primes your unconscious mind for the message you're about to receive. So if, if um, you're going into, let's say, a, a football game and, you know, if somebody's watching it and you're giving some coaching and you're, you're putting some subliminals in there, it will go and reinforce what, what's being said. And uh, sometimes they work independent of that, but most of the time uh, the work that I'm doing, it is aligning the message in for, you know, better self-esteem, better self-image, self-confidence, things like that. And you line it up and then you, you get coherence, which makes the message that much more powerful, both at a conscious and unconscious level. If that makes sense, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, our audience may not know necessarily the word subliminal. I think you've explained that, uh, what, I have often thought was, and what I think I just heard from you, is that I always thought, well, gosh, if I, I wish, golly jeepers, I wish I could read something or listen to something or watch something and, you know, like in school and automatically grasp it. There were certain students that would just piss me off that would read a book you know, say the say the I know a guy, a football guy that I played with, um, Joe. He he found out that the final was based on the book. So being a practical guy, he said, "Well, I don't need to show up for any of the classes. I'll just read the book." Yeah. And read the book that night prior to, and aced it. <laughs> Not old Timmy. <laughs> yeah. then that doesn't work for me, right? I got to hear it a few times. So, uh, and I think most people are that way. And so is what you're saying that that subliminal reinforcement is learning it or hearing it more than just once and, and you're getting it often. So when the coach gives that instruction, it's not the first time he's heard it. Well, I think it's two different things that we're, we're talking about here, Tim. 
uh, with subliminals, it's it's more of a reinforcement of something that's already in there. Um, and learning okay. is it, the, the strategy that you're talking about is learning like that. That guy that can read the book and know it and not have to take the class and then be able to show up for the test and ace it. He's got a different learning strategy. So and it's probably a visual strategy. Like when we teach spellers, people that are really bad spellers have a tendency to spell in auditory. They, they hear the words in, in their brain, they, like somebody talking to them. Uh, when you uh-huh. talk to yourself in the shower or you're trying to amp yourself up for the game or something like that, you're talking to yourself. And, and a lot of most people are taught to use a, a phonic and it does work in a certain sense, but a phonic spelling strategy. But it's, it's not very successful. But we teach uh, w- with the NLP, I would teach somebody how to do a visual spelling strategy because once you can see it and then you practice this and your brain gets used to it and the pathways start to form and get stronger and i'm sure that guy just had a different learning strategy and oh, yeah. of how he does it as compared to you well pretty well like you said you have to hear it many many times yeah yeah uh beautiful um so before so Tell me a little bit more. We, I, I sidetracked you on the uh, on the the subliminal. What is it that you do for people? So I get people that come in um, that, that 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 want are stuck. Basically, they want shifting. They want change. So let's uh, and I'm going to keep putting it back since you're using football. I'll keep putting it back into into that uh, framework. Let's say you've got a team, you know, and you've got an offensive team, and and you got 11 guys out there and, and you've got some people that are having some issues and they're not lined up. Um, if we take a human being, we would say, let's say we have different parts. You know, we've got, like you said, I think it was in the, the uh, Joseph Riggio interview, you were talking about, you know, your father, you're a football coach, your husband, you're, you're different people to two different people. And throughout the day you have different parts and if we take a football team and we say those are all different parts, people playing different parts on the team, we have that inside of us. And sometimes those parts are not in alignment and they get out of alignment. People get stuck and they can't consciously tell what's going on. As a coach, when you're looking at players or people and you want them to improve, when they're running down the field, they don't know what it looks like from the sideline that the coach sees. And the coach is able to have a different perspective and say, no, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what you have to do. And that's what the coach gets hired for. That's what the coach is in place for is to have a perspective of experience different. And that they see it from running through their own eyes, running down the field, but they're not seeing it from a different perspective. So people, you can't take all those 11 players and say, you know, all these different parts, what's going on simultaneously. And that's why you have a coach that can look at that while they can play the game, their mind is set on doing something within the game, and then the coach takes a different perspective, a little further back perspective, and helps them uh, to decide what they're going to do. Now, if we have certain parts or, let's say, certain players on the field that are having a hard time at home or they're having a hard time at school or they're having a hard time with their girlfriend, it could be one of a million different things where they're having an issue with, uh, it can affect the whole team. Similarly, if, if I'm working with an individual, if they have certain parts that are not lined up or having issues or problems within themselves, the father part, maybe getting into an argument with his wife uh, at school, maybe one of the classes, you know, they've got different parts. You go to different classes throughout the day and they're having a problem and then they might have a self-esteem. They might be saying things to themselves and not feeling good about themselves, um, 
having memories from their past and it just brings them down, but that can affect the whole team. And you said something earlier where you're talking about, um, and congratulations on the, the guy that is now a starting quarterback. That's wonderful on that. That's so cool. what I want to, what I want to talk about is, is the idea that when colleges, um, and you're playing football, part of the deal is what we teach and what, what I'm doing with people individually is coherence. Coherence is like a laser beam compared to a regular light that you turn on when you go into your house. The light goes everywhere. The laser beam uh, focuses and is very coherent light. Uh, a little five-watt laser can go to the moon and back. And think about a five-watt light in your house. You can't get much done with it. So what you want to do is get these parts in coherence working together with each other. So you're a coach, and, and the coaches that are out there listening to this, they're coaching different football teams and teams, uh, offense and defense, and then they have the kicking teams. So they have to make sure that all those teams are in coherence. Now, beyond that, every individual has to be in coherence. One uh, a great bo- a great book, if you ever get a chance to read it, it's from the 1940s or 50s, uh, I think it's the 50s, Eric Fromm. It's called The Art of Loving. It's a great book. And he talks hmm. about how to be a, a, a good society because it starts with individuals, but goes into teams. It goes into schools and colleges, communities, states, countries, the world. And he said that we are independent people or we should be independent people in dependent situations. So each one of your football players out there are independent people each one of the parts that we have inside of us that we play throughout the day. And there's, like I said, thousands of those different parts that, that we, we play because you could be playing the, uh, the role of a husband. And at the same time, it could be a husband on a birthday. It could be a husband on an anniversary. It could be a husband in a fight. So you can see there's an endless amounts of these parts, but some of them go wrong. Some of them aren't in alignment. They're not in coherence. And my job is individually to find out how that person within inside themselves and in their relationships between other people is get them back into to coherence. So if you can get an individual on a, on a team in coherence and then you can get them all lined up in coherence, you've got a pretty mean ball club. So it's not just about the idea of coaching them what they're doing on the outside. It's making sure that they're in coherence on the inside as well. So on that note, I, in my mind, I immediately go towards, when you say coherence, I go towards, okay, that means aligning the beliefs and values, or some people might call in the corporate world mission, uh, all, align that all together so that it creates a cooperative or a team. Is, is that what you're talking about? Or yeah, it's just, it, no, no, it, it, I think that's it exactly. And it, and it becomes when it's the additive effect, it's the synergistic effect of, uh, you know, one, uh-huh. one plus one equals three uh, instead of one plus one equals two, one times one or one times three. I, I'm not getting the math right on this, but it has uh, an exponential <laughs> effect, a multiple effect of there's there be there becomes a a a separate unit um, there, that the team in itself what does that mean? What is that? You talked about the, what men, and, and I think the first thing we have to do with, you know, bringing young men into grown men and being a part of a coherent society is what does that, is the definition of man mean? 
and we're, we're having issues and trouble because they're changing the definition of what a man is. And then you have to align your values and belief systems up to what definition, uh, you know, years ago when a society was, was different, colleges were different. When you went to school, you had a, a school mission statement, as you would say, you'd go in there and, and pretty well, everybody wanted to stick to that mission statement. So whether you were on the football team or whatever, you had a whole team. Uh, and what's happening now is that the values are getting shifted and changed, and that's the definition. Now, I know you, you asked me something, and I kind of went off track here, but it's about what the definition of a team is. And then what is the definition of the people on the team? And if they're men, what's the definition of man equal on the team and, and a player? So it's lining all that stuff up and then getting everybody to agree with that. And now once we get them to agree, let's pump the energy and the enthusiasm and the excitement behind that. And, and that seems to me that a, a coach, a head coach, uh, or even, you know, to, to jump up above the head coach, an organization that hires or brings on a volunteer head coach needs to be very clear on those definitions, right? So exactly. that so that it's carried out. I mean, in, in, in our pregame talk, you had mentioned, you know, coaching football is very much like coaching corporate. So this kind of translates uh, quite nicely, I think, into the into the business world. But uh, so that's interesting. So what? Okay, so we've kind of gone past the the philosophy thing. I, I pointed out earlier how I just think the philosophy is very thin. So those those beliefs and values that are inherent in a, a system, they better be damn good. You better not just, right? You better not just pick, oh, any old thing that someone told you you should think. It's got to come from your gut. And then I think also, since you're affecting other people, it better it better be a value system and a belief system that supports the betterment of your team so that you go beyond just a win on Saturday to a win in life. If, if, and, and I'm demonst- I'm dictating my values, you know, not sure. everybody believes that, but I do. And so that's why I say that. Yeah. No, and, and I think it goes back to, let's say philosophy to me, what the idea is that philosophy is fun. I love philosophy. I play with it all the time, but yeah. you have to bring reality into philosophy. You don't have to if you're just talking philosophy, but if you're going to take the philosophy of football, you have to bring reality into that. So when you say to me, those values better be good, okay, good is is a pretty abstract word, so what does good mean to you? Right, what does, right. What does good mean to you? And I want, to, I want to get down on that, and I want to chunk down, as we call it in NLP, and I want to get real specific and get into details because there's a strategy to what good means to you. And every one of these players out there have the same thing, and they have different strategies, just like what you talked about a little bit ago about the guy that was able to read the book. He's got a visual strategy, and you've got an auditory strategy. Now how do we line those strategies up? We've got a guy that's a visual, and we've got a guy that, that learns by hearing. How do we get the per- one person to see what these values are? Well, the other one hears it enough times that it really sinks in, and then they get to the emotional coherence. Now, most of this, it's like sales. You know, any salesperson that's out there knows that, well, how do you sell? It's a transfer of enthusiasm. 
But first you have to sell them on emotion and that enthusiasm, and the people will justify by logic. So no matter what a person's strategy is or no matter what they're doing, if you can get them lined up in what they're feeling and then get tie it into the values and the beliefs that you want them to, then you're going to have a, a coherent mutual agreement on it's not going to be perfect, obviously, but the energy and the synergy that's going to be there is going to kind of be an anchor. So when what I mean by anchor is, is a stimulus response so that the next time you get together, now all you have to do is fire off certain anchors, get them emotional, get them into the state, talk about the beliefs and the values, and just keep doing that over and over again. And, and what you do is keep the coherence. But let's say some player on the team has an issue or something wrong. Um, the, the team has to have a way of ex bringing that, bringing them into that instead of excluding them, which a lot of teams, a lot of times will do. Okay. You're feeling like that. You're ruining the whole team. You got to get out. No, it's like, how do we get that person to get back into coherence with the team instead of the separation part? And that's when problems start to happen with teams is, is they have to have a strategy for getting everybody back in alignment again and helping that individual, helping that person and that's where coaching comes in handy, individual coaching, if you're going to do internal coaching, is to say, okay, the team's in alignment on the outside physically. They look like it. Everything's there. But something's wrong with John over there. And we've got to, we've got to get – because John is going to affect the rest of the team. That coherence relies on everybody being in coherence to the best as possible to be a winner, to be the winning team. Yeah, it's, it's – you know, when when there's been disruptors over the years, uh, and, you know, I, I was smart as a coach. I had better coaches as assistants than I am. So <laughs> I always – so we were pretty good. But so but along with that, I had coaches that used a lot of old, uh, bad, bad languaging. Uh, so I'm not saying I agree with this, but quite often when – uh, something is going wrong with a player, a player's disruptor, you'll hear from, I've heard it on my own staff, I've heard it on others, where, oh, this guy's a cancer. We got to, what do you do to cancer? You got to cut it out. And you just, you, you, you kick them out. Well, I understand that on the pro level where you're running a company. Yeah. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, but, you know, I was on the youth level, or even I would say on the high school level, I feel like there's an obligation, and again, I'm, I'm demonstrating my value system, but I will say to whoever's listening that I will put that value system and, if I may, my win-loss record against anybody on a, on a similar you know, plane uh, by using that. And, and so what I think is necessary is to sell that making everybody better on the team and, and, and to the best of their ability, is a useful effort by coaches. And if, if you may, uh, could you explain, because I think this, 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 what I'm about to say, I think this really demonstrates the ability in everyone, and that is the Pygmalion effect. Can you go into that? Well, you know what, let me, can I back up a little bit and go to Absolutely. what you said? Because I think you said something re really important. There. And I think the the idea of is is that when they're in the NFL, they're a professional. And a professional has a different value system than somebody that's, I'm going to say, an amateur uh, that, that hasn't gone into a paid sport yet. 
So the, so the value systems of getting paid to do something and having the values that are in alignment, and this is why I think the thing that's going on with the San Francisco 49ers and Caper, I think it's Copernic is his name, um, is that, that what happens is this puts a discordance, a, a dissonance into the team value system and structure, and that, that's not good for a team overall. And, that, and that's something we can go into at another time because what it does is it shifts the value system from the individual values to the team values and what they're doing is putting their individual values above the team values. And that's what a professional doesn't do. A professional knows we're supposed to put all our values into the team. Here's the team values. I will make sure I am aligned with the team values. I'll make sure that everything that I do, that is my job as a professional to be there, to be on top every single time. But when we're talking to people we're talking to mostly probably coaches that are teaching kids uh, teaching young adults, young men to, to go out there and do it, it's a whole different value system. You're, they're still in the process of learning what this is and having to adopt that. And, and again, the idea that the cancer, the model, see, this is a big thing in the coaching. What I do, I listen for what people's metaphors are, uh, mm-hmm. as, as Joseph did so, so great last week, and to say, okay, there's a cancer. That tells me that their model, uh, is, is, something is wrong with the model. Instead yep. of saying, look, the, 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 the rudder's off a little bit. We've got to adjust the rudder. You know, the wind's now in a different direction and one of the strings. There's all kinds of other metaphors that I would bring into the equation and have them look at it through those filters instead of the metaphor of cancer. Because, you know, there's a lot of different ways to deal with cancer, but it's all pretty violent. And if you're doing that <laughs> violence against yourself, and yeah. which would I say to yourself, your team, that sure is not going to help. It's going to hit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the other, the follow-up on that was that uh, I think Pygmalion, uh, the Pygmalion effect, is a good way to start on the selling that of that every single person on the team, even the least, uh, shall I say, the slowest ship, is worth spending time on. Could you tag on to that, or if you disagree, you know, whatever. Let, let, what do you feel about that? No, I think the, the it's the it's the chain deal, the weakest link in the chain, you know. Um, yeah. So the, it, when you know, you know the chain breaks, it's the the weakest link in the chain. So it, it's it's the team's idea of to say how is this person a part of me, my team. So it, it's again, it's is it individual or is it separate? Yeah, if somebody's got really bad problems, and there's some individuals, you know, if they're professionals or even on the level that we're talking about. You got to pull them aside, and you got to talk to them. You got to separate them so it doesn't infect the rest of the team, so to speak. If you want to use the, the you know, the cancer model or the the virus model, but at the same time, uh, the the sense is, you know, and I and I can't remember what it is, Tim, and and maybe you can help me with this. But recently, I was hearing something about that if somebody does, there's a tribe. Um, I want to. I'm just going to say in Africa or South America. Whereas if one of the members does something wrong or does a crime or is not going through something, they sit there and they stop pretty well everything that they're doing. And I'm not going to get this 100% exact, but they stop everything they're doing and everybody sits around there and talks to this person for hours, sometimes days, and telling them why they're important to the rest of them. So they've just committed an egregious act either against the, the community or against somebody else that puts, a, puts them in bad light to everybody else. They will sit there and continue to love this person and tell them what they mean and how good they are and everything they remember good about that person to bring them back into the fold. 
Wow. <laughs> I can get you more information on that, but but it really that's, it, that's, it, it, uh, and that that's that's a from a tribe, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it was uh, exactly. It should be you know more of a modern tribe, but it was um, <laughs> it, it, it it was something really beautiful, and I wish I could remember more about it. It's one of those things where you start watching it, and by the end of it, it's like wow, what what just happened there? What just my whole belief system and value system shifted a little bit because I never considered. That because we always want to say, how do we punish this person? And they didn't believe in par- punishing the person. They believed in the, the power of the whole, the team, the community, the tribe, and to bring that person back in the fold. And that, that each person in that fold meant so much to the other one that they were willing to stop everything they were doing as a society and put that person in the middle. And then each person went around the outside circle and spent all this time telling that person what they meant to the team and how important they were wow you know for those listening really quick i'll give the readers uh, or the uh, the cliff's notes version i was going to say readers digest version no the cliff's <laughs> notes version of pygmalion and, and basically researchers have found over and time and again is that uh they put the uh teachers they put f students with teachers but the teachers were told that the f students were a students and they took A students and put them with teachers and told the teachers that the uh, A students were uh, F students. And based on expectations, the uh, better students became F students and the uh, F students become A students, just largely based on the expectation that that's what they were. So the teachers taught up to, uh, to, to that expectation. Uh, did I say that well enough? <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that's what I was saying basically is that what what if we look at not just a teacher as a Pygmalion effect, but what if we look at a team? The team itself has a Pygmalion effect about the team and each individual on it to say, um, oh, yeah. I don't want to be without my arm. I will do everything. If my arm wants to leave my body, I'm going to do everything I can to convince that arm to stay on my body. And the, And if we start looking at the team, from that respect, then the, the weakest link is going to get stronger. This is how we improve the weakest link. Sometimes, we, you know, sometimes negative reinforcement works short term. It, uh, it works short term, but long term, if you want coherence and you want to get to the Super Bowl and you want to win a division title, you got you have to have the on a bigger level that Pygmalion effect of what does everybody think about the team and what does everybody think about each other individually and how important they are to each other. That's uh, that's good stuff. Um, you know, I, I I know that you have uh, you have your own football and, and baseball experience. So I really appreciate you you in, infusing that into the lessons that you've been laying down, the wisdom that you've been laying down. What uh, what I fear is still us talking a little bit of, uh, above some of the coaches that might listen to this. Uh, you and I know the Pygmalion effect, but I didn't, I used to not know the Pygmalion effect, right? I mean, yeah. long ago, I had a desire to try out some of my ideas as a coach. Uh, and I was coaching my, my oldest, uh, who uh, long ago, 13-something years ago, 
And uh, I thought, wow, this is a great idea to help my kid, which, you know, as David Barron in my first uh, or one of my first interview from a, from a behavioral uh, standpoint uh, said, <laughs> it, it made me uh, quite aware that uh, I, I was doing it for my own reasons <laughs> and, and as opposed to saving the world. And uh, true. And so I always like to say to coaches, you know, realize the shit that you're bringing to the team, you know, and fix it, you know, because I know that we, we coaches will get into it often to, to revisit our own stuff. And so that's fine, but fix it and get on with the business of, of coaching. Um, is there anything that you could add to to that? Is is there is there a way for coaches to get through their stuff fast and then get into actually coaching and and really what can they do to uh, to get quicker into understanding these things that you've talked about today? Well, I, I, I think that the equation is not an either-or equation. I think it's an or. It's an and. Uh, instead of an or, it's an and. And, and the, 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 what I mean by that is this, is to say they're going to have their stuff, and they're going to have their personal ambition, and I think that's just fine. You know what I mean? I heard you, you when you were talking to, to Joseph that, uh, that you know that kind of came into the picture, and I, I think it's great that you have your own personal ambition, and you ha- it, but it's what is the priority. Are you having your own personal ambition when you're out on the field with a team and a group in front of a, a large group of people when they're playing? Or have you shifted over to now the team values? So it, it's the idea of how do you shift them around. And, and uh, this again, we'll go back to the, the question you said earlier. You asked me what I do for people. That a lot of what's going on with people is they just have different values in, in wrong order, in a wrong context. And what I mean by context is, okay, what are your values when you're at home watching TV or driving your car and you want to buy a new car that looks good and makes you feel good? Um, don't put those on top of the values that you have when you're, you're coaching your team. Your team comes first. So it's the ability to have flexibility in what your values are and what you show, because everybody's going to have the selfish reason. I don't care. I've known people of the cloth that uh, very holy and spiritual people and everybody sits there and says how selfless they are. And in private, um, it's like, Ooh, yeah, well, that's, well, that's good. I'm glad everybody else sees it like that because that's the image they want. If they're a man of the cloth or a woman of the cloth, but when it comes to privacy uh, and, and who they are uh, in their personal life, they still have values, but they now have a tendency to bump up their personal values. Um, what we want to eat when we're at a, 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 with a group of people at a conference or a convention or with a bunch of coaches together, and what we might eat in a hotel room when we're alone. And so when you're playing and you're out there on the field, it's the idea of to know that you have these different value systems. And one of the things we do with that, when I keep talking about values, there's actually processes called values alignment that is just an incredible process you can do with individuals and a team. And when, when you line those up, you have the different parts and you know when to come up. So you can enjoy the, your values personally when you're by yourself or with your family. And then to be full on in your values and be, be flexible to have the values to be a coach, to be out there. And, and to have that team spirit that, that, that's there and recognize that in everybody else. And one of the things I wanted to say from when we were talking, I was talking a minute ago, 
is, you know what? I'm a coach and I still get coached six hours a month. I've been doing this for 30 years, uh, but the coaching aspect and everything for about 20 years, I recommend coaches get coaches. You know, it's always good to have somebody that helps you see what you can't see or help you get into alignment. So when the coach has say that again, how many hours uh, a month? Yeah, I'm doing six hours a month. And I also know you travel and spend time. I mean, just from our Facebook relationship, don't you? You don't you go to uh, conferences and 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 get retrained? Yeah. Oh yes. I mean, I've been through NLP Master Practitioner between filming it and attending it and assisting at it. 10, 12, 15 times. I mean, I just continue to go for the repetition because every time I learn, Tim, something, and I learn something new and I get one of those ahas or I'm blown away or have an experience with a client to go, wow, I just, now I get what that means. I want to go and learn the whole thing again because it's all new again. It's brand new. It's fresh. And that's one of the things that, that, you know, flexibility, that there's there's an NLP law, and I'm trying to remember, uh, requisite variety, the law of requisite variety. And I'm not going to say it exact, but it's, it's the most flex, it, it, you know, who was the guy Darwin that said the strongest of the species survives? No, this, the, the requisite variety and what Darwin said is more the most adaptable, the most flexible survive. It wasn't the strongest. It was the most adaptable and flexible that survive. And that's the law of requisite variety to say whoever is the most flexible. So, you have to have a point where if you think you know something, you've got to be open to saying, if I, if I learn this again or if I know this again in a different way, what could it do different for me? How could I learn this again? And I've learned things over and over again. And that's one of the things that I've got to tell you um, that I encourage in everybody, young and old, is to say, uh, no matter who you think you are, you're always more than that. You're always changing and to to put that process into there and to grow and to change and don't get stuck because you think you know something. Yep, you know it right now, but that may be totally different in a year from now. So be open to learning new ways. Get coached yourself if you're a coach. I think that's one of the most coolest things about being a human is that you can always change. You can always get better, whatever that means, Right. Well, you can't not change. The universe is constant change. That's the only constant right. is change. <laughs> it's a paradox, but the only constant is change. So if you're doing it anyways, why not to learn to do it really good? On, on purpose, right? Purpose. Uh, it, hey, listen, I, I could talk to you all day, and you, you talked about learning each time you hear something. I have definitely have heard these concepts more than once, but I definitely have learned something Again, uh, by listening to you and, and the, the, the frame that you've put on these concepts. So I really appreciate that. I'd like to ask you one more question that might help people. Can you think of, based on our conversation today, uh, of some of the, the, the young men or even you know, older, where some of these concepts have fit, um, where you had to work with maybe align uh, their team internally, uh, to get them to work uh, better in whatever it is that they wanted. Well, I'm trying to think that the uh, 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 there's there's a there's a long story I could tell with uh, with my uh, mentor John Overdurf, but let me let me just tell you, I, I'll just give you a quick story on w- with golf. Is it okay to use some golf? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay. 
So I was making a DVD in, in Austin, Texas years ago, and I needed some shots. Of, uh, it was about golf, improving the mental game of golf. And what I wanted to do was get a golf course. So I was calling around, talking to all these different pros about, I said, look, I'll hire you if I time. Just, just let me use um, the, you know, the footage from the golf course for a DVD that I'm doing. And most people said no. And I just, you know, was persistent because I knew what I wanted in my mind. And uh, I had one guy call me back from this club and uh, professional and he's friends with, I think it's Hank, Hank Haney up in Dallas. And it was coaching Tiger Woods and different people. And uh-huh. uh, so he goes, okay. He goes, you got me. He goes, what kind of DVD are you doing? And I explained to him a little bit about that. And, um, he said, there's nothing new with, with the mental game since, uh, uh, Galloway, was it, uh, Tim Galloway? Yeah. I said, there's nothing. I said, sure there is. I said, there's all kinds of stuff new. And I explained to him and he says, why don't you come down and talk to me? I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you find your, give me your, um, give me your worst golfer. Give me a golfer that's got potential, but it's got some issues and uh, give it to me. And I'll do a session with him for free. He goes, deal, come on down. So I get down there and he, it, it, this this young amateur uh, that he brought there, he says, no, he goes, he goes, this is my best player. And if you can do something with with him, we're going to take it. We'll take it from there and uh, we'll do something. And so I said to him, I said, fine. And I said, what's the problem? What's going on with him? What, what does he need help with? And he told me he had some emotional stuff, some things going on with school. And he was flying in from a different part of Texas to get these lessons. This guy was that good. And um, so I said, okay. So I did some work with him. And he called me that night and he goes, and he goes, what did you do to him? And I'm like, good or bad? He goes, good. <laughs> I said, he goes, his mother called me crying. And I'm like, what do you oh. mean? She goes, oh, I got a, I got a new boy. I got a new boy. And he, and she said that he was just, she was so excited that his attitude had shifted and changed and did the, did the alignment stuff with him. And, and his game improved. And what it was is he was too, he was really cocky, and he was doing the individual thing instead of the, the team thing because he was playing by himself, but he was also playing on a college team. Uh huh. And so he was affecting the other players of the team. Well, that that aligned him so much. I had ended up doing some other players. We ended up working with about forty eight different people, including pros and and really high level, high ranking college kids. And um, I've got a lot of stories from there. But this kid, it was a complete change in, in what he did. And it, more so, he was playing more with a team spirit. His game improved. Uh, his parents were happy. I ended, he ended up hiring me. He said, I want you to be full time on, on the, the club. And we did a research project together and everything. So it, it really turned out well uh, from just going out and saying, hey, I got an idea. I want to do it. But as far as the individual himself then playing on a team, it, it was a huge difference because he was disrupting people. He was being cocky. He was wanting to show off, and, and, and that did not help the team dynamics, which affected the other people, the other players on the team. And then, I ended, like I said, working with a couple of the other people on the team, and I, I, I know that they did well, but I don't have the exact results for you at this point. That's, a, that's awesome. Uh, let me end this with, a final question, if I may. Why is football important to young men? Well, I think it's it's what I would say about what Eric Fromm said. You know, you're you got to learn to be a strong, independent person in a dependent situation, because the the idea of who you are individually. And then being part of a team is going to switch. It's going to be a team later on in your life 
um, that's going to be a family. It's going to be a business team, whether you're in business for yourself or you work for somebody else. You may end up being a CEO and have a team underneath you. Um, you're, you know, who knows where you could go in politics and be part of a, a team there. Uh, but you're a part of a team of the United States, and you're also a part of the team of the world. And what football does is teach you to be strong individually, to, but to work coherently in a dependent situation to get something achieved. And I think that's what football does, and that's why it's so successful. The great thing, of, another great thing about football is you get to do it again. You get to do it again. You get to practice. You get to do, repeat things. You get to learn new things and then improve and then go out and try it and find out what worked and what didn't, and you try it again. That's what success is all about. It's about trying it, going out there, getting it done, reflecting on it, saying, what can I do to improve, watching the films, the video of what happened, learning, practicing some new things, and then going out and giving it a try again. That's life, my friend. That's success. Amen. Amen on that. And that what a great way to end this. I'm going to use that quote by Fromm quite a bit, just so you know. So <laughs> don't be surprised when you see it on a meme on one of my Facebook posts pretty soon. Yeah, I yeah. love that. That is that is the quote I have been looking for. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, with that, I would uh, like to just say, can you tell the folks how to find your stuff? Maybe the subliminal DVDs or any of your other works? Yeah. I've, I've, like I said, I've done some stuff with Kevin Hogan. He's got some stuff on his site. We're working on some new ones now. But if you go to my website, and thanks for that, Tim, it's www.mark, M-A-R-K, the initial J, Ryan, R-Y-A-N.com, markjryan.com. And you go to the products page, you'll see a bunch of different products. Now, don't let some, I've got some of the stuff that's a little spiritual, some of it, people looking a little bit new agey and stuff. Don't worry about it. Underneath it all is all NLP and hypnotic success processes and theme work. I just kind of put it more towards uh, the spiritual. Uh, had, a, had a pretty big, uh, uh, how would I say it, a, a community that I was a part of that wanted me to do those videos. And they're still selling and they're very successful. But I'm working on some, some new stuff, uh, possibly some new subliminals with Hogan fairly quickly. But markjryan.com. Very cool. And with that, I'd like to uh, say thank you very much. Hang on after I end this, and uh, have a great day.